Good morning, afternoon, and evening, everyone. My name is Alex Terpkosh, and this is Tonal Identities. Whether you are here to listen to new music or understand how our lives impact our musical identities, I hope you enjoy the show. Joining me today is hometown friend and artist Sage Kiefer. Hello and welcome. Hi, thanks so much for having me. Of course, I'm very excited to have you on. For those of you who don't know, Sage and I uh, have grown up together, and she has some very interesting music to share with us today and I like some of her reasoning too for it so I'm really excited to hear about it so let's get started what's your primary instrumental choral background and do you not have a like musical background or like where did that kind of start you know yeah so like many of us that attended the same school system we went to we started on recorder in fourth grade so I'd say that was my first instrument, but I would consider my primary instrument also saxophone. I started that in fifth grade and still play in the band today. Um, in early high school, I also started to play ukulele and then I ended up uh, co-facilitating our ukulele club in um, and then played very sax my senior year. And at Gus Davis, I also um, joined a recorder ensemble again just for fun. So that's kind of where I'm coming from. So I guess, um, do you like, are you happy with your musical background? Is there something you wish you would have like been more involved in as you like uh, grew older, like a different like ensemble or instrument you wish you would have played? Yeah, I think my musical background has given me a lot. I think just the thing I wish I would have learned a little bit earlier is to not take it so seriously and just to kind of have more fun with it I'm at a point in my practice where I really just enjoy it and do it more for fun um but I would definitely do more berry sax I think that's really cool or like percussion I've always been really intrigued by I agree I agree with percussion mm-hmm. intriguing. Um, <laughs> something else uh I was wondering about too is never mind I forgot the question anyways um <laughs> moving on so along with your background um what's your first memory of music was it as you were like a child I mean personally I don't have memories that far back but do you remember like Mm -hmm. your like that alto saxophone you picked up or like what was it yeah oh okay so like first memory is hard so I'd want to say like one of the most impactful moments uh was when I you know was trying out all the different instruments before fifth grade and I had gone through like clarinet trumpet different things and then I like picked up the saxophone and I immediately knew that that was the instrument I wanted to go with um so I think that was really cool and then the start of a really long journey with that as well was it the sound the feel what really drew you to that instrument I think just like everything the sound I've always just adored on saxophone um I've grown up with a dad that listens to a lot of songs <laughs> with six saxophone solos most of which are tenor but um I'm definitely biased towards the alto so I think everything like the sound it looked really cool the way it felt like in my hands and yeah just kind of felt natural awesome all right well we'll get started I'll start us off here Awesome. So this first piece is Masquerade Suite. In particular, it's the third part of it called Mazurka. 
played by the London Symphony Orchestra. And the right the composer of this piece is Karam Kachaturian. Kachaturian is a very well-known, unknown piano player, pretty much. Um, it's a very, like, this piece itself, I presume a lot of our listeners would be like, oh, I've heard this before, but not much credit is given to the composer, so I decided to add it to this week. Um, in addition, Saber Dance, which I'll probably bring on sooner than later, is another famous work by him. I enjoy this piece due to the different dynamics that this waltz holds, and oftentimes we feel it's lighter. Like, a, a waltz is lighter, right? But Kachaturian gives it this, like, heavy with like this grandeur and bounce and it feels like a heightened waltz. And I, I don't think it's happy, and I also don't think it's sad. This is so fun, I feel like I'm entering like a very lavish garden party. <laughs> yeah, and I mean like that's exactly how I like kind of imagine it too. It's like, it kind of like, it gives Bridgerton, but... Mm-hmm. Like a little newer, new age, you know? Yeah, 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 totally. And so Kachaturian was born in 1903 in Georgia to an Armenian family and was a prominent Soviet composer amongst his friends Prokofiev and Shostakovich. Kachaturian actually wrote that the Masquerade Suite was for an opera under the same name, and the opera was about someone's wife being murdered by her husband over a false accusation of cheating. Not great, but... The piece is beautiful. And so within the suite, this is, like I said, the third work, and it's titled Mazurka, um, which, for those who don't know, is a term, uh, a Polish term, for a folk dance in a triple meter, but the strong accent, instead of being on the first beat of like, mm, pop, pop, mm, pop, pop, it's on beat two or three, with this mazurka focusing pretty much on beat two. A little bit of spice to it. Exactly, right? And it's, I don't know, it's perfectly different. Um, so, well, that's enough about me. Let's move on to one of yours. So this is uh, Cry of the Last Unicorn, um, written by Rosano Galante and performed by the Taipei Wind Orchestra. Um, this is one of my favorite pieces of all time. I have uh, something called synesthesia, which is where I interpret audio and kind of see different visualizations in my head. And that could be anything ranging from like color, shapes, entire scenes. Um, so for that reason, I really like um, cinematic pieces like this like I believe it really tells a story and I can't remember the exact story behind it but I know that there's a mother unicorn and then her baby and they're on this long journey and the mother ends up getting 
killed and then it's like kind of from the baby's perspective after this but you can hear the cry and especially like french horn and alto sax solos throughout the piece it's just so chilling and beautiful it's amazing how much beauty there can be in sadness right because i do really adore um pieces like the one you just showed like where it sounds really happy and fun um but i think a lot of you know like you said beauty lies within the sadness here too and it's so lyrical Like, you can never get tired of, like, these horn features, either. Mm-hmm. In any piece. This is for any piece. Well, in here, it's, I, I especially love how they shoot the melody to be the warmer tones, and they fully flesh it out. So, like, this is essential escape of the baby unicorn back, and then, like, you'll hear a little bit back into kind of the frantic nature of this cheese. Oh, I love this part. and I will not spoil what happens to the unicorn <laughs> at the end. So go give that a listen if you want to finish it. But <laughs> to all my wind band friends out there, it is a lovely, lovely piece. And I think it's like a grade three or four for the educators out there. All right. So the next one is mine. is Romance for Violin and Piano, Opus 23, written by Amy Beach. The performers are Maria Ludnich on the violin and Kenny Rober on the piano. Something I've always loved about this piece is the push and pull of each phrase. The piano creates that drive, but the violin, with being a string, has that ability to just pull so far back on the, the back like end of the phrase. I would also like to hear this piece with the cello because I think the cello is so much more weighty and its harmonic movement is so much more like strong. Also, it would be played like about an octave lower in that, I don't know, I'd just be very interested to see the different feeling it gives because would it still be a romance or would it feel like another emotion or feeling? I love the what you're mentioning about the um, 
violin and piano combo. It almost seems like they're performing a dance together. It's something that I was actually just about to mention that, but this, this piece doesn't even feel like a call and response, right? Like the violin and piano aren't talking to each other, rather they're intertwined, making the two instruments or the collective melody and harmony feel as one. And a few notes about Amy Beach is that she only had one composition lesson taught at the age of 14 from Junius W. Hill, meaning that the rest of her life she was a self-taught composer. And Beach's history is quite tragic as her husband, Dr. Henry Aubrey Beach, a surgeon basically, did not like all the recitals Beach was giving and restricted her to two a year. In addition, he forbade her from learning formal composition, so she learned her own art through trial and error, and also literature. The current work we're listening to, Romance, was premiered and published in 1893. Given the circumstance with her husband, the piece was actually dedicated to Maud Powell, a close friend and virtuoso violinist who also played the premiere with Amy Beach. And so, as not great as her husband was, she was still able to create beauty in her music. myself off from that piece because I would listen to the rest of it but we have more important matters at hand <laughs> they just choice of before the sun so this piece before the sun by Julie Giroux I selected because this is another one of those cinematic or like cinematic and lyrical pieces but you can really visualize the sunrise rising and I just want you to imagine that as you listen to this piece all the warm tones and strings that um, she brings in it's just beautiful And Julie Giroux has been in the music industry for a long time. She actually composed her first piece at only eight years old. I really like how, like, Julie Giroux seems to have 
a common style between all of her works, but they all feel so different and definitely reach the point that she's illustrating through uh, all of them. Right. Well, and I just love like the chord progressions. I think they're so fascinating. That's what really gets me about her. You know, when she turns one leaf to another, it's just so fantastical. And I think a lot of her music too also gives a lot of like relaxation. I think a lot of times within her works, I'm not feeling anxious or stressed. It's more so lyrical beauty. Mm-hmm. And I, I really feel like, you know, having played a few of her pieces, she likes to incorporate the whole band. Some um, composers are very biased towards a certain instrument, but hers, like, I feel like everybody always really likes their part. And I had the opportunity to play this piece where it was me and only one other person, Henry, in my section. And a lot of the kind of tonal and chord progressions between just the two of us was really cool. I think it's also really special, especially within saxophone, when sections are often like eight or something. And Mm -hmm. to know that your part is just pushed out that much more can yeah. be a little stressful but all the more beautiful right no it's been a beautiful experience in college and like especially with these songs being in a little bit of a smaller band kind of giving way to shine through and up next once again return to some strings this is edward algar's cello concerto played by sheku kanamason Before this piece gets a little more involved, has a very famous melody and also another theme that's like i've heard that before but where so i also decided to share this This work is four movements long, with each one being super enticing and inspiring to listen to. And I think something to listen for is the length of some of these phrases and how much the cello solo is able to extend them, because the orchestra adds to the beginning of it, plays into the middle of it, and the cello pulls it out further. Also, for the listeners, Connor Mason is playing this piece completely memorized and their intonation is so precise. And in this uh, recording, he's 
playing with the city of Birmingham Symphony Orchestra at the BBC Proms. And the conductor is Mirga Grazintier Taiba. Good build up. Oh, sorry. Yeah, yeah, yeah. No, definitely, definitely. <laughs> And so this piece was composed in 1919 as Elgar's last major work. He wrote this piece as a reflection of World War I. And Elgar was not really well known until he was 40 when he completed his first symphony, not this one. There are numerous versions of Pomp and Circumstance that uh, you've heard out there, but Elgar was one of the, has one of the most well-known and replayed versions to date. And it's kind of crazy, that dichotomy of this and also, you know, pomp and circumstance. Mm-hmm, right? To play this at graduation. I would completely agree with that. And mm-hmm. I've actually um, talked with some of my professors before about, like, why don't we alter the music at graduation? But I don't think parents are too happy about that idea because there's such a tradition between some of those songs. Uh. <laughs> but like what if we had a cello solo you know <laughs> consider this <laughs> i think it, i think you see, I, I would be there for it i know other people would not though mm-hmm. we can just have graduation divided up based off of who wants to listen to what <laughs> based off the music you want to listen to yeah <laughs> well we are not going to listen to all 35 minutes of this lovely piece but we are going to move on to sage's next piece Oh, this song just really brings me back. I think this is one of the pieces that really made me fall in love with the band. It's called Sheltering Sky, um, and it was made in 2012 by John Mackey, of which it probably will be surprising to you, but he actually didn't have any formal instruction as a kid, never played an instrument, and is able to create this. Like, it's insane. I would highly, highly recommend checking out his other works as well. Um, this one's a lot slower and more lyrical. Um, but I actually did a piece inspired off of it too of kind of a house sitting on a bed of clouds overlooking a cliff and just serene setting for our listeners when Sage says peace she means artwork for this like yes. just because I know it could be very confusing when we say peace but it's a beautiful <laughs> piece of art she has done <laughs> thank you And just like this main melody supported by all the warm chords underlying underneath, like for me, it's just such a wave of pinks and yellows and soft blues. There's a saxophone. 
think it's really one thing to like listen to this song, but if you ever have the opportunity to play this, I would say so go for it. Like it was just incredible to be a part of the song with people around me that I really loved and kind of making that experience together. And I would completely agree with you. And it's these are the kind of songs where the whole song is six minutes, but you get to like you start it and you're like wow this is lovely you get to minute two you're like wow i can't wait for the build up and then minute four you're like mm-hmm. oh no this is gonna end like can i please play it one more time no for real <laughs> and it's um, something that i really appreciate about this work too is how each solo like after they occur feels so supported by the ensemble afterwards it's almost like a like a nice work to the soloist just like cheering them on yeah i almost like the way i envision it is like just a flock of swans or i don't know if they're a flock but like a group of swans just like going and i don't know one of them things i guess (laughs) oh this part I just love the use of dissonance back into the harmony. Well, thank you for sharing that lovely work. (laughs) I feel terrible jumping to this next song as it doesn't fit that nature but enjoy hey that's all good being a week with banshees frozen in the so this is Wild Folk by the band Sleepwalking Animals. Sleepwalking Animals is a folk rock band from Manchester and they're composed of five members. This piece is an original with the poem coming from their lead vocalist, Tom Glenn Carney, who was inspired by a poem from the 17th century and quotes to his coin mistress by Andrew Marvel. And although I don't really relate much to the song or even quite know what it stands for, I appreciate the holisticness of the song. <laughs> From open vocal harmonies to this like sweet guitar riff, I just think the song is fun to listen to. I would read some of the lyrics for the listeners, but I feel like it would take from your own interpretation of the work, and I'd rather just take some of this time to listen. This song musically just feels like a Colorado morning. I really like that description. I think that's so true. 
and it's it, like for instance like some of the, the lyrics i know i just like lied to myself but it's a by me like in the ground and i can't tell you if it's about death or not like i just i just i just like i tried to find stuff but then decided that i just enjoy this song and why not share something i enjoy it's just nice being able to sit within like i mean this is like a right like a folk rock song kind of more even like a little bit of pop but you still have these larger vocal harmonies and it's not it's just not standard and that's what i appreciate so much about it i feel like it's like the perfect road trip song at like golden hour i'll definitely have to give that a try all right and for our last song of today this song chosen by sage is one that i also grew up with and saw and i am so so happy she chose this this is traveling song and i want to dedicate it to my grandpa max who is here tonight and uh he's had a really hard year and i'm just so glad that he's here and i want to sing this song for him so this song I've really held close to me since sophomore year of high school, starting to think about graduation and even more so in college graduation. Um, I think it has such a beautiful message. Um, the connection is never lost, but instead she says later, everywhere I go, I'll see you on the road. Um, yeah, it's about loved ones having to leave for a while. so strongly about this song is that it just it happens to everyone is whether you move on someone else moves on no matter what we progress through life and that's exactly what this kind of tells us is that it's okay right and you know like even though they're far away like we're not 
lost from each other. And I really like her one line, um, soulmates aren't just lovers, you know? So the song can really apply for a friend. I think she wrote this specifically about her grandfather, at the very least, you know, in the beginning, dedicates it to him. Very bittersweet. It kind of makes me think of like, just when I first listened to the song in high school and listened to it now, how different those states of my being are and those people I knew. And how there's so much, once again, beauty in it, but it's also pain and joy. Well, getting into those friendships, just knowing that one day we will not be going to the same school anymore. But, you know, what's a life worth lived if you haven't lived it? Well, thank you so, so much for sharing that piece. Of course. Thanks for playing it. So... Well, thanks for coming on the show. Um, that's a very, like you said, bittersweet ending. But nonetheless, I appreciate you coming on. Of course. Thank you so much for having me. This has been a blast. So that was friend and artist and musician, Sage Kiefer. Thank you for joining me on this episode of Tonal Identity and enjoy the rest of your morning, afternoon, and evening.